0: Rifle Supply's mission is to provide customers with a one stop shop for all firearm needs. Focused around having a firearm store with a customer friendly, customer first approach, they aim to supply individuals from all skill levels and lifestyles with the most informative, helpful, and welcoming experience possible. From gunsmithing to fully customized builds, they are here for customers seeking a respectful, honest, welcoming, and experienced firearm store that provides all individuals. With the tools and resources needed to transform them into knowledgeable and properly trained gun owners from the first time gun owner to the most experienced operator everyone is welcome and treated to a pleasant experience in the shop rifle supply stands proud as a company that holds the military and its veterans very close to their hearts they employ vets and also have several veteran family members from green berets to marines having such close ties to service members allows them to understand and push the importance of the stories they tell experiences they have had, and the sacrifices they have made, which allows for the freedoms and liberties that people often take for granted. Check out Rifle Supply at RifleSupply.com. 10,000 represents a stoic dedication to continuous improvement. Every day faster, every day stronger, every day better than yesterday. They don't believe in overnight success, miracle drugs, cure-alls, quick fixes or shortcuts. They believe in works in progress. They believe in the value of our failures. They believe in dusting off and getting back up. They believe in grit, tenacity and grinding. They know that there are no flashbulbs at the end of our runs and no microphones waiting to be shoved in our faces after a set. All that awaits is another mile, another rep, another shot at your personal best and eventually a better, stronger you. Though relatively new to the tactical community, 10,000 created its first-ever tactical short in t- summer of 2020, born out of a desire to meet the training needs of the most elite members of the armed forces. To accomplish this, 10,000 worked with individuals from special ops teams across all branches of the military. Navy SEALs, Navy EOD, Marine Raiders, Army Green Berets, Army Rangers, and Air Force Special Operations. Their advisory board is comprised of the best of the best of these groups. These individuals helped guide everything in the project. Initial concepting, prototype evaluation, wear testing parameters, and team selection and led them and the rest of the tactical team to a final product worthy of the men for whom it was created. With the goal to continue to support and build products for the active duty and veteran communities in 2022, 10,000 is excited to collaborate with the veterans project and members of the military community as they further expand their product line and offerings. For more information, check out the link in our bio and check out the website at 10,000.cc. Elevate Weekly is all about telling stories that evoke emotions, capture audiences, and inspire the viewer's eye. Whether your business is a small startup or a large corporation, digital marketing plays a key role for success, and that they are confident in fulfilling. Their services include video production, graphic design, social media marketing development, product packaging design, business card design, photography and video as well. For more information, be sure to check out Elevate Weekly at elevateweekly.com. An excerpt from the blog on the co-founders of Deep End Fitness and Underwater Torpedo League, Dontran and Prime Hall. Water is fluid, it is hot, it is cold, it waves, it ebbs, it flows. It brings life, resurgence, it crashes. It destroys. It is formless apart from the container that holds it. If you harness its power properly, you can bring a renewable source of energy to millions of people. If you harness its power properly, you can bring a renewal of millions of minds. At least that's the philosophy that Don Tran and Prime Hall have carried with them since the genesis of their two organizations, Deep End Fitness and Underwater Torpedo League. Like so many other successful training programs, their ideals are not carried through a conduit of rest and relaxation. The major mantra is still that adversity will find you at some point, crash you, destroy the idea of who you thought you were, reshape those ideas, and if you pass the testing phase, bring you back through mental resurgence. As you examine the culture around underwater torpedo league and deep end fitness, you soon find... That its principal stakeholders are humans that are looking for resistance, learning, growth, and emotional advent, something more than your average humdrum way of life. Still, with all the commonalities shared with other thriving programs, STEF and UTL are completely unique in the way they get to this shared proving ground. Their model of implementation is aqueous by nature, and the tools utilized bring humility to even the most battle-tested of the warrior class. And trust us, warrior class is the best way to describe those who partake in either program. It would stand to reason that the men who carry both organizations are both paddle holders as Special Operations Marines, otherwise known as MARSOC Raiders. Their foundations, although uniquely different, forged their paths as combat-tested Marines, and now the co-founders of two successful organizations. But rather than explain the rest of how this all came together, we will let Don Tran take it from here. Just a reminder that this is part one of a two-part series coming with Prime Hall in part two. Without further ado, the one and only Don Tran.
1: The Veterans Project is a comprehensive essay capturing the legacies of our warfighters, caregivers, and civilians. Who have stepped forward in defense of our patriotic principles in an effort to capture their stories and to never forget the staggering sacrifices of our nation's finest this is the veterans project podcast where our legacies are the mission here's your host tim k welcome to the veterans project podcast
0: my name is tim k i'll be your host as always we've got here a good friend a good new friend Don Tran in the room here with me. And Don is doing a very unique thing. I'll let him talk more about that. The Deep in Fitness Underwater Torpedo League, which he started with Prime Hall. Two incredible Mars Raiders. Don, it's an honor to have you here, man. Thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, brother. And uh, thanks for taking this journey with us on this trip to, to Texas.
2: <laughs> it has right? been a
0: journey, man. Yeah. It has been a journey all the way to Texas, bro. Are you excited about this?
2: I am. Yeah, yeah.
0: we're really excited. What was the idea for the expansion? Let's first get into what Deep In Fitness is because we started talking about it. So I want people to know what that's all about. So, what are y'all doing with Deep In Fitness? And yeah, UTL.
2: Of course. We started two companies. One is called Deep In Fitness, the other one's Unwired Torpedo League. and in Fitness is a training tool um, that we use that's really based on aquatics training. So we use a lot of the pool side and in the pool to do some types of functional fitness workout incorporating with breath holding and underwater work. Awesome. Yep. And then going into the underwater torpedo league is a five on five game that's all played underwater. If you can imagine like taking two water polo nets, shrink them down, put them down to the deep end of the pool. And that little toy torpedo you used to play with as a kid, we made our own. And now we're using that to play underwater where the five on five athletes can grapple each other. But of course, no kicking, no punching, no goggle ripping or any Single limbs. Yeah, and I say that because we used to tra- we it with a lot of MMA fighters. So, of course. Yeah, you,
0: know, you get some UFC guys in there. Yeah, that so might we, be. You got to make that clear.
2: Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so we played three matches and the best of the three matches wins and uh, each match is up to five points. It's physical. I've seen the videos. Yeah, it's very gnarly. Yeah.
0: yeah. And if a former MARSOC Raider says that it's gnarly, it's gnarly. Yeah. So
2: (laughs) the game was actually an underground game played in the military for SEALs, recon guys, Marine Raiders going to get ready to dive school or just Navy divers. So many different versions have been played with it throughout my military career. And we just brought it to the civilian world. And now we're commercializing it. And and bring it because we thought it was a pretty cool thing to bring to life. It's
0: awesome. The visuals are incredible. The water just makes everything so much more vibrant. It makes it tougher. There's more adversity contained in the water, obviously. One of the funny things I've noticed about these nonprofits with these uh, special operations guys that are coming into this space, I've noticed that everything is almost built upon adversity. Yes. And retraining the mind. Because we don't all grow up with adversity. A lot of us, some of us have more trauma than others, obviously. But I mean... To put it nicely, we grew up in a pretty easy world nowadays. Like things are kind of handed to us. And so you have to push for that adversity. And yeah, was that kind of the idea behind Deep End Fitness? Obviously beyond the physical implications of what you're doing. And is it, there's a big mental side to that, right?
2: Yeah, and I think that's what really makes differentiates us uh, from all the other fitness programs right now. It's, if you have that anxiety, it's most people when they go into water, they have some type of anxiety or they immediately think, hey, where's my air source? Where's my air source? And that's natural. That's your mammalian dive reflex. We're mammals. We like to breathe mm. and we need to breathe. Yeah. But for a lot of people, if they get there, it can be a fight or flight instinct right away. So they start panicking, they start elevating their heart rate and they need air and they freak out right away. But we really believe that if we train ourselves and we go underwater and we push ourselves to the point where we reach that limit almost every single time, we're well conditioned to it. Mm. So, <clears throat> translating to the real world, even when we deal with other stressful situations in life and we're going to that same point where, hey, I can fight or I can flight this situation, it's you're more accustomed to it. So you're better to deal with it. You think clear when you actually take a second to reevaluate the situation and make the best decision. So that's what's so different about us and why so many athletes come to us now, especially people that are, don't even have aquatic sports, like NFL players to, the UFC fires like you mentioned earlier, that, that are really successful for them, yeah.
0: I was struck by something today here in Austin, Texas. I heard uh, somebody say that, they, I think they were coming from Houston, and they were talking to either you or Prime, and they said, I'm, uh, I am I know I've got a lot of work to do, and I've got to get used to this The whole point, this whole maneuvering of the body and getting used to the water and getting used to losing your oxygen and all those things that kind of freak you out, put you in that fight or flight mode. And uh, Prime said something. It was actually prime and he said uh yeah but we've been having we've had people who've said they were going to show up for three years and they haven't shown up so yeah, showing yeah, yeah, up yeah. is a big part of the battle right yep, for sure yeah. Yeah. yeah i i think that was really cool for somebody to step out of their comfort zone and put themselves there it shows a, a want to improve right yep,
2: exactly and showing up for yourself i show up like hey i'm here to tell and deal with my fear we had the other girl today i was like hey i'm scared of the water but mm. I'm here to face that fear, like really lean into that discomfort. And being underwater and not having air is extremely discomfortable yes. for, for a lot of people.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I think almost everyone, even people that like the water, there's that moment for sure. That everybody reaches that point. I remember when I was a kid, I got sucked in the undertow around San Diego. And I was probably down for a good minute. And I just remember thinking like, oh, I went with it. Fortunately, yeah. I had that kind of, I guess, fight, you would say. But I, I rolled with the undertow. But I remember thinking like, yeah, I'm probably gonna die because yeah. I, I was disoriented. You know, I was yeah. like, ah, this is probably it. The ripe old age of twelve. Yeah, know? yeah. But that 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 was a scary feeling. I did I hit that point. So let's go back through your life. We talked a little bit about that. I definitely want to get deeper into that and deep in fitness, no pun intended. I want to get into that. But I want to talk a little bit about your life growing up. And so you grew up in Southern California, right? Yep. What what led your path to the Marine Corps and can you talk about your parents? Yeah, sure.
2: So my parents came over from uh, Vietnam in 1975 after the war. There were refugees coming over here, and they were both sponsored by, one by a Catholic family, the other my mom was by a Christian family. She lived in Connecticut, and my dad lived in Iowa. They didn't meet till they were actually over here. But my dad came over here in 19... 19- 60 early or mid 60s to the OCS program. He was a naval officer for the Vin- South Vietnamese. Oh wow! Uh, Navy. Yeah. So he was like the riverine guys. Oh. Yeah, that would get on the fights in the riverines. But so he went over to school in Rhode Island OCS or whatever is. But so he was like second time coming back. Um, to America after that but yeah they met in America and then they moved to California and then they traveled around a little bit because my dad became an electrical engineer for Teledyne and Raytheon or some defense companies based yeah Yeah, so then when I was born in Orange County but Orange County Hospital but then we lived in Northside Long Beach
0: okay cool what do you remember about growing up? How were your parents? My parents were super strict
2: and they're super <laughs> traditional Vietnamese parents yeah. or Asian parents for most of the Asian people out there. But curfew for the kids, always eating Asian food. So you're bringing Asian food to school, which is like super awkward. People thought a, it was very, really weird? Yeah, people thought it was really weird. It smells different. It smells yeah. weird. Yeah, growing up there. But... We lived in Northside, Long Beach for a few years. And then that's where I started going to public school first in kindergarten, but I was used to get in fights or get beat up so that my parents were scared. So they sent me to a private school from like first grade to eighth grade, private Catholic school. Okay. Yeah. On that's uh, intense. the North side. Yeah, it was okay. pretty intense. But after that, uh, I went to a public high school in uh, Long Beach, it was on the east side. It's called Wilson High School. Okay. But that's where I was like my real first time, like interacting with adversity would you say because the private school is pretty pretty chill you're a small class and you have the catholic community and all that but
0: everybody kind of knows each other
2: yeah yeah exactly but going to the public school i didn't really know that much and all the my kids that went to the private school with me they went to like other private all-boys schools or other things like that so i was going there on my own but found a group of friends that was going around and exploring different types of groups as well but that's where i got into a lot of trouble yeah <laughs> flashing out but like my freshman year and sophomore year I did pretty well taking like ap classes and stuff like that but my junior year, i pretty much bombed it really like bad yeah so hanging out with the wrong crowd got mixed into a lot of drugs and yeah. partying and then getting in a lot of trouble arrested i went to juvie a few times stealing clothes cars yeah it was pretty bad
0: wow wow what do you think led you down that route was it just the strict upbringing you searching for your manhood um, yeah,
2: I think it was a combination of all and trying to fit in because coming from a private school, you're like, oh, you're the goody tissue kind of dude or whatever it is. So I was like, oh man, I'm cool too. And I that, can that steal really, cars too. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of what it was. Yeah. And, yeah.
0: it's that forced peer pressure.
2: Yeah. And like my parents didn't grow up with a lot of money. or well, we didn't grow up with a lot of money. So it was like my way of finding my own money Mm -hmm. or my own source of income to do the things i wanted to do yeah Yeah. gotcha
0: what do you think was what do you think it was that turned the corner for you as far as deciding i want to join the marines because obviously you came to a point where there was a lot of trouble and you realized probably got arrested and realized like man i am not headed down a good path here
2: yeah so
0: i think it was my
2: older sister because she was like my junior she was like hey You got to get ready for college. She's a year older or she was a class older than me, but a year and a half in age. And she was about to go to UCLA and she's like, Don, you really need to do something. What are you thinking about doing? And then she actually put in a whole bunch of college applications for me to a few Cal States, California State Universities. Mm -hmm. But I ended up not going um, because I wanted to do something else. I was like, but I didn't want to do go to school because I was a horrible learner at that point. But I knew I needed some type of structure in my life. So I went out to the Marine Corps recruiter. Before that I saw the Marine commercial with Fighting the... Yeah. yeah.
0: (laughs) Which is one of the coolest commercials. Yeah. But
2: like as a 17-year-old kid or 16-year-old kid when I decided to join at the time. I was like, this is the coolest shit ever. I'm yeah. going to go fight a dragon. <laughs> like my own version of the dragon, yeah. fight my own battles and stuff. I went to the Marine Corps recruiter. His name was Sergeant Powell, this African-American recruiter. Super awesome, super cool. But yeah, he started the process for me. Throughout that process, I was still getting in trouble. And I remember one time I went to jail in Ontario for stealing a whole bunch of DVDs. Like the cop calls my parents like, hey, do you want to come grab this kid? And my mom was like, I'm done. I'm not wow. picking him up anymore.
0: Wow. Yeah.
2: So he's. You got one more call. Who else would come pick you up? And I call my Marine Corps recruiter, Sergeant Powell, and he came and bailed me out of jail.
0: Oh. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Yeah. And yeah? at that
2: point, I was like, "Oh man, do I really want to go to the Marine Corps? Do I really want to do that stuff?" But then, like, he showed me that there was like some type of brotherhood mm-hmm. that was already because. He- the recruiter doesn't have to bail you out of jail. No, no. Maybe he needed to hit his quota. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, this was in 2006 California, and yeah. everybody's going to Iraq. Dude, so they they just needed like- numbers. I don't
0: know, man. <laughs> Did you murder anybody? You're like, yeah. no. He's like, okay. <laughs> yeah.
2: But so that's why I was like brotherhood. And like when you join the Marine Corps or you go, it's like the first time the Marine Corps recruiting station, they have these. 13 little metal things um, and it was like, hey, why do you wanna join us? I wanna be a leader, I wanna travel the world, I wanna have financial freedom, I wanna education, all that stuff. And one of mine was always brotherhood and I didn't grow up with a brother. I grew up with two sisters, mm-hmm. uh, one older, one younger. So I always wanted a brother. So I think that's why when I got to high school, I was looking for such other male figures to go behind either an older brother or a younger brother, somebody to mentor or whatever that was at that, at that point. Yeah, yeah.
0: yep. Do you think, you obviously were not set on, you didn't really know about the world of special operations at the time. There wasn't really any idea that. No, yeah, I had no idea what special operations or anything was.
2: I thought the Marine Corps was the, the coolest thing
0: ever. Yeah, yeah, you're like, you that's know? the
2: topic. Of- Every Marine's a rifleman. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, shit, I want to be a rifleman. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I want
0: to kill that dragon. <laughs> yeah, so
2: yeah. I went to boot camp and, uh, right, a month after high school, three weeks after high school, and then I graduated in October or something like that. And I went straight to... The school of the infantry contract, and then midway through infantry school, they get a, You got to pick your MOS, okay? Uh, pretty much, so you had a chance to be a machine gunner, mortarman, tow gunner at the time, still, or an assault man. But the instructors all this guy's Asian. Uh, he's definitely going to be good at using a plotting board and math one day. So that's why I became a Mormon first.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> they chose for you. Tube truckers, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, But
2: yeah, it was awesome. I actually learned a lot and it was extremely helpful for later on in my career. And I guess we'll get that tuned in a little bit. But yeah, um, got to my unit uh, to 1st Battalion, 4th Marines on December 21st or something like that. Like right before they went on Christmas leave and oh. we were in the field it was my first night out and our battalion commander calls the whole battalion and at the same time and he was like hey boys we're going to iraq yeah. and i think i told you the story in the car ride <laughs> everybody in the battalion as marines was cheering that's we're going to war we're going to war and the deployment before that one four went on a Mew, but the one before that they went to najaf so all the guys that went to najaf like the 18 days firefight in the Jaff. Like, all those senior guys were still there. No resupplies, just like, on the ground cramping, no food, no water, anyways. But then, so the newer guys were like, oh man, this is our chance to prove to those guys that we've got what it takes. Of course. Everybody was super pumped, but me, I was at seven, no, I was 18, I just turned 18 and I was, so fucking scared. I was like, "Oh man, I'm gonna die! What the hell is going on, dude? I've, I've been through like three months of training. Yeah, how to yeah. shoot this
0: gun? Yeah. I just pictured all these. I was telling you, I just pictured this room full of like boisterous, huge, massive Marines, just like headbutting each other yeah, and whooping yeah. it up like they just won the Super Bowl. Yeah. And then you kind of sitting in the middle, of, hello darkness, my. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly, dude. And I was like a hundred and. 30 pounds maybe soaking oh wet at the time dude. so just scared dude scary. yeah yeah that's and,
0: scary you obviously told your parents after that yes I mean, what was the reaction
2: yeah. yeah so my parents didn't want me to join the military really. Wow. yeah because they come from a war-ridden country but my dad always told me that hey when we came to america and he was able to so he came over to america with his one of his sisters and his dad and they have the opportunity to sponsor and really go to school and get enough money to sponsor the rest of his family over. And he has nine brothers and sisters and his mom. So he always said, hey, although we don't want you to go to the military, one day someone in this family has to repay the country for what they did, which is amazing. Right. To me. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Even though he didn't really feel that sense of wanting you to be in necessarily. Yeah. 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 That's awesome and he had served in South Vietnamese army yeah. right? or navy. Navy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. That's that is funny. I've heard a couple of stories of Vietnam refugees having kids and those kids I know them they served in the military and their parents did not want them to serve yeah. because they'd seen what War War truly looks like yeah what it can do so so what was your mom's reaction to to you going overseas
2: so my dad always was like oh don't tell your mom like you're in the infantry don't tell them that stuff just tell them that you're in the marine corps and there's other jobs that i could be doing so Mm -hmm. tell her like uh police call tell her about like the (laughs) all the weird working parties you have to do she's oh you're just doing work like you're construction here you're a lawnmower (laughs) all that stuff she didn't really know and then when we went over to iraq in end of 06 beginning of 07 it was we had no cell phones or no internet calling back home our platoon had one satellite phone that we made a five minute call every two weeks oh wow yeah so it was a completely different so So real war like yeah, hard whatever hard them, yeah. yeah, whatever you call them. Yeah, whenever you call them, it was like amazing. But it was just like, oh, I love you, all that stuff. I don't know if I'll get to talk to you again. Or because you don't know if you'll run out of minutes on that sat phone right. or the worst can happen or whatever it is. But yeah. So we went over to Al Qaim, Iraq, which is on the northern border of Iraq near Syria. But we were on a MAP platoon. So I was part of a weapons company at the time, mobile assault platoon, pretty much. I think we called it, yeah, exactly what? I, so a CAP platoon. So pretty much rolled around with 50s, 240s. And then I go drive over IEDs and try to find the bad guys in these Bedouin camps and these small villages. Good times. Yeah, yeah, good times. Yeah. <laughs> did
0: you like it? Did you enjoy that job when you finally got it? Because obviously you were nervous going over there. You're young. Yeah. I know what that feeling's like. I was 17 when I joined. I yeah. felt like a little boy. You know, yeah, I yeah, terms. seriously. Like, and did not feel like a man prepared to go to war. Yeah. So really? were you? Did you once you got over there? Did the nerves settle? And the you, nerves
2: settle. I think after like three, four weeks. Okay. Going in, but then that's when we started hitting the IEDs. Oh, jeez. Yeah, just like IEDs after IEDs.
0: Some of them were small
2: enough just to pop the tire. Yeah. Some were big enough to blow off the front end. Some of them killed some of my friends. It just depends. But that's when I was like, fuck, dude. And then we worked, we didn't get any, any a lot of contact. Like small arms fire here and there. But that's what you go over for. Like you go through one IED class before you deploy <laughs> and you're like, this is what I'm dealing with every fucking day. It yeah. was
0: ridiculous does that start to jack with your head as because you you're there to take the fight to the enemy right yes you're there to get into engagements you expect that but then when they start blowing you up from out of nowhere yeah from out of nowhere that's gonna mess with your psychology yeah because no one signs up
2: to go drive over bombs yeah (laughs) horrible
0: so what do you remember about that about that first occurrence of losing a friend over there and and how tough is that how do you explain that
2: it was crazy dude so we were probably in November. We had a lot of guys get medevaced, but no one actually died. until so my friend Jeremy Burris died over there on my first trip, but we drove over over a big IED and he was the lead truck driver. And we had to ride seven tons in the front because there's so many IEDs. All the Humvees were getting trashed. At least they could take an impact at the time. And they launched the, the, gun, or the gunner out of the turret. Mm-hmm. And then the vehicle commander too, his name was Abner and Lee Mendez was the gunner, but launched him out, got all fucked up. Um, Settle 360 around it, but it was actually down a wadi, like oh. those dried riverbed. So there's really one way in and one way out. Well, you can't just come on the side; it's a cliff. So boom, hit that, and then we met back those other guys out. Those two other guys out, and then Jeremy goes back to his truck, like super cool, like looking. For, he was like, "Oh man, I think I left my glasses in the truck." Mm-hmm. So he goes back to grab his glasses, and then when he jumps out, he steps on the secondary.
0: Oh my gosh And then
2: boom! Wow! Yeah. unbelievable man yeah. what was the reaction to that well, obviously you think it's over right i thought it was my other friend tyler jones in the back because he was right behind the truck doing the secondary sweep with the my- the metal detector mm-hmm. uh, and then i was like go get him go get-. and i was stuck in the turret so i couldn't do much so i was like go get him but the smoke was like great the second one was
0: even bigger i think it was like 50 pounds of hme Jeez. yeah wow yeah Powerful explosion. Yeah. How do how do you move past that as a marine you know, I've asked that question a lot, obviously, but everybody deals with it differently. How do you move past that when that happens? Because you had a job to still do. That's it tough. was end
2: of deployment and we got extended for two months. Oh, geez. Yeah. And it was like two weeks into the first extension. And oh. it just rocked everybody, dude. But um
0: you think morale was pretty low at that point?
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's
0: yeah. Yeah. rough.
2: Yeah. And Jeremy played the guitar for us every night. Oh. Yeah. And I gosh. used to I know I don't really. I'm an Asian dude. I don't really listen to country that much, but I still listen to "Settle for a Slowdown." I don't know if you know that. Yeah, know that song. Yeah, yeah, he used to play that amazing song for us all the time. So man, losing yeah. that was tough.
0: Yeah, yeah. How, so how much longer did you have after that happened? We had like
2: a month left, and then we got home right before Christmas or something like that. Yeah, we left in March. Yeah. Yeah, right before Christmas.
0: So how long were you all home before that next deployment? Seven months. I oh, geez. Yeah. So, so did the trauma have time to settle in? Obviously, you guys all felt that. What, what was that like when you got home? Did you just feel like... Nobody could understand. Was it difficult? Or was I think it- that was the
2: the biggest transition because you're still so young and you're, your mind's still molding. Right. Uh, coming back and transitioning. Like, hey, I'm back to the real world. People have no idea. You know, think, like, oh, people have no idea what I went through in my head. But that was a selfish way to think of it. You made that decision to go over there. And I was in the victim mindset at that point. Oh, man, I just lost my friend. No one even knows. Going to Lowe's and just dwelling in it. Way yeah. too much. I always try to find the positive, and I, I try to do that now. But yeah, back yeah. then, I was just super depressed and stuff so like that, and drank a, a shit ton. Yeah. And I was even 21 yet.
1: <laughs> yeah, I
2: remember coming back um, from the first deployment, and all my friends from like Long Beach that I was used to hang out with was like greeting me and stuff like that. And we went up to my parents' garage. Uh, they have a two-story garage, like a little floor that my dad built on top for storage. Mm-hmm. But we were up there drinking, and we made some dumbass shot because we we're trying to get so fucked up called Monster Balls, it was eight shots of Jaeger followed by eight shots of Hennessy. Oh, no, I'm sorry, four four of Jaeger and then four of Hennessy.
0: Oh my god! It's just
2: a dumb, yeah. stupid 19 or 18-year-old thing to do. Yeah. yeah, just threw up all over the place. <laughs> all over my dad's garage. Just so fucking pissed. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. yeah. funny though. Man, you had seven months before that next appointment. And was there some, were you fearful going into that next one because of what you'd experienced on that first one? Or yeah, was-
2: so we were going into the middle of Fallujah on this next one. So we're like, oh man, and... As a Marine, all you hear about is Fallujah and Phantom Fury. So I was like, oh, this is our chance to go get in like way more gunfights and go do like house clearing and shit like that. But fuck no, that wasn't the situation either. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> the Marines, uh, don't they like to
2: take the fun out of everything? Yeah, everything oh, you think is going to be cool is yeah. hardly ever that. Yeah. so yeah. we get over there and I was still part of weapons company, but they needed some mortars and stuff like that in the middle of the city. So I went over to be part of Bravo Company. That was stationed in OP called OP Burgess. It was directly in the middle of the city. Across the street, we had a little Iraq KFC. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, that got (laughs) grenaded. It was pretty funny. Oh, jeez. But yeah, we were in the middle of the city. We just ran patrols around, um, trying to have some shuras and stuff like that, meet with some of the elders from the Shia and the other one. Sunnis. Sunnis. Sunnis, yeah. So both sides, trying to mend that. Kind of battle in the city, and it was like the north against the south pretty much interesting yeah. what was that
0: deployment like for you? did you enjoy that one more um one?
2: we had an internet center, so it was nicer to talk to going home talking with home, but it wasn't as tight because we got attached to another company, so we were doing our own thing, but after a while, towards the end of the deployment, we got a chance to start running our own. I became a squad leader on that deployment, nice, so I got to run my own um patrols and stuff like that, so that was kind of cool at night, but I remember. The first time I was dealing with special operations was deployment. Mm, okay. So yeah, we were the f- closest force. It was like probably 700, 800 meters away, and there were the seals were going to come do a hit on this house. And we're oh. like, "Fuck yeah, dude! I am going to." They asked us to be the cordon force. Yeah. For this, um, so they they came in with their right now it's like the MRAPs. So they already had their version of the MRAPs at okay. that time, but they came in with baseball caps, navy or. Nike shoe, boots on and everything. Mm -hmm. like Just unclassified stuff. This one dude had jeans on in the middle of Fallujah. And I'm just like, who the fuck are these guys? My first ever interaction. So we go out. They do the planning. And we set this cordon around. And they go do a hit on this house. They hit the wrong house. Oh, jeez. And they send their dog in first. And this dog bites off this girl's calf. Oh, my
0: gosh. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So, so that made you want to go to special operations?
2: Nah, that didn't. But that was just my first experience. It yeah. was still pretty cool. Yeah. So they go to the next house and they get the dude or whatever. But yeah. they just like bounce. Yeah. So we had to get our… Doc and our medic to take care of the girl and everything on like that. Oh shit. my gosh! Yeah.
1: Oh jeez. that was a mess.
2: That was that a mess. mess. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. So. That will
2: not be in the next book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That will not be. That will not be in the next Trident book. Next book. No. Yeah. Yeah, but anyways, yeah, that was a good experience going there. A lot more IEDs as well. Barely any small arms, and the police had gun control. Actually, there's two crazy SBV VBIDs that leveled two police stations right next to us.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah.
2: Like the mushroom like cloud it was crazy rocked the whole thing sandbags started falling over because the building we were living in was like an old fallujah building that we had put sand up for the sandbags up to the wall yeah yeah
0: wow is that what was the dynamic of the city at that time obviously they'd gone through phantom fury one and two right already yeah.
2: It's that three block war approach. So yeah. one street, there's business going on. The next street, some gangsters hang out on the street or yeah. whatever it is a feet. And then the next street over, it's like a full on firefight. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: So it just depends on where which part of the city. I think the southern portion was a lot more active because they got a lot more people coming in. Our AO for that small cop was probably like four kilometers big. Really? From left to wow. right and north to south. Wow. So Wow. It wasn't that big it, it covered like maybe a quarter of the city
0: so you got to know people pretty well in there yeah yeah you knew uh, what was going on yeah yeah for sure what, yeah. what was the difference between getting engagements there and getting engagements in the deployment before
2: oh and deploy- deployments before were on a truck yeah we got machine guns we got ammo in fallujah we're on foot and we have an m4 yeah you know, I mean, that's or it. that's it. I mean, we had a saw yeah. or two saws in the squad. But yeah, that was it. Wow. So that was the complete difference. But in the city, we shouldn't be shooting big guns anyways, especially if there's a lot of civilians. Right. You know, out in the desert. Let's get this
0: guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he can do. And they have he so can.
2: much more room to run Yeah, on the bikes or whatever it is.
0: Yeah. You talk about mentality and what you do being so important now with Deep in Fitness. You're having your mentality shaped there. You're having to make sharp, split-second decisions as a very young kid. You yeah, really You think do. about that sometimes, the yeah. rarity of that?
2: A lot of situations in my first deployment, whether like driving over ID or that situation, I don't remember it clearly. Yeah, Probably because my cortisone levels, I was stressing out so much, anxiety, stress, and like the fear was coming up so much. But I went to the more infantry mortars leaders course, mm-hmm the time, before my second deployment, there was this guest speaker there, his name was Lieutenant Colonel Grossman. I don't okay. know if you've ever heard of him. I've heard of him, He yes. wrote two books, one called On Combat, and the other one's called On Killing. I'm sure he has a lot more now,
0: Yes. but during
2: that time, Some yeah, he- On killing. Yeah, yeah, pretty much like what your mindset goes through and the whole process of what, how you interact with it, how you deal with it and how normal people deal with it. And it goes back into like dark times where war has always been a thing, but how do people adapt to it? And then he taught us this box spring method. Like mm-hmm. it's just a four second in through your nose, Four-second hold, four-second out through your mouth, four-second hold. He's like, do it four times before you go through any stressful situations. Mm. And you're going to come in with a clear mind and a clear And I did it.
0: Wow. Overseas. It worked, yeah. Yeah, that's incredible, man. Yeah,
2: and he teaches it to like first responders and everybody throughout the world. But it's such a simple method. But blinking and breathing is the only two things that you do all the time naturally Mm -hmm. that you can actually control. Yeah, And although if you control your blinking all the time, you might look weird. But (laughs) breathing is such a natural thing that really... Touches and affects every single part of your body, from your mind, how well you perform on the field as an athlete, or how well you perform on the battlefield as a as a mm. war
0: And those experiences molded and shaped your viewpoint into what you're doing. Now, yeah, which is absolutely incredible. Those prepared you for your operations in Marsoc and becoming a raider. But the, the early days molded you. It really and did. Before that, your parents, yeah. your upbringing.
2: I don't think I've, I I would have gotten to be successful through going through selection and school, whatever, if I. Didn't go through the infantry before. Yeah. If I did another job or MOS, I don't think I would have gotten the same experience or the same leadership or the same build growing up to where how I became successful in MARSOC.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I've met some great guys who went through the 18 X-ray program, some wonderful guys. But I think there is something so special, just like an officer coming from the enlisted life before. You recognize an officer who's yeah. been through that lifestyle. Sure. You respect that guy initially, even yeah. if he's a young lieutenant. You know that like he's been through it. Yeah. And you, he understands you. He's going to get you. Very rare do you meet a guy like that that's just like an absolute jerk. Yeah. Like yeah. usually they handle things pretty well. Yeah. I know. I know, I know one.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. I only know one. Yeah.
0: There, see, there's only one. So w- how was the rest of that deployment in Fallujah? Was it pretty, w- was it not too bad? Were there some rough times? Um, over there, yeah, right? it
2: wasn't too bad. We didn't lose any of the guys on our squad or our anybody at OP Burgess, but we lost a lot of guys on. The other nearby ones, Mm -hmm. yeah, but they were a lot more in contact, a lot more than we were, and we would hear a lot of gunfire and the gunfights, but we wouldn't be able to go support them right away unless we were on QRF, right? Which kind of sucks as well.
0: That's tough because that city was so dynamic. There were a lot of weird things going on there for sure. Mm -hmm. So you know, how long was that deployment? Seven months. That was seven months. Okay, Mm -hmm. and then you come back, you get back, and how long are you back for? Besides you. Before you decided to go that, because you did two deployments, right? And then yep. you went Marsak. Mm-hmm. How yep. long was it before you decided to go there? So,
2: with this one, we had, I think, like 16 months or something. So, we had a long time. Iraq was really dying down, and they're trying to pull guys out. And 1 4 probably didn't perform as well as we should have overseas. Mm, okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So then they were didn't like, didn't know that. Yeah. I think we had some blue on blue. Incidents mm-hmm. and some other things that wasn't, yeah. But so at the point, I was like, hey, I think that I've gotten a lot of experience here and I had a lot of fun being a squad leader and leading dudes. So I was like, hey, I want to go do something cooler within the unit. Yeah. So that's when I tried out to go to the state platoon, okay. so the sniper platoon. And I made it through the indoc and I became a pig. So in the Marine Corps, if you're on a sniper platoon, you're either a pig or a hog. If you're a hog, you're a hunter of gunmen, you've been through the Marine Corps scout sniper school. If you're not, you're a pig mm-hmm. and you're just like the new guy all. All over again.
0: Oh, jeez. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, so you got to carry a pig egg. It's a thirty-five pound duct tape sandbag that you carry in your bag, and you have to run everywhere. Oh, from geez. to chow to chow, <laughs> to ev- everywhere to class. Yeah, everywhere. And the battalion commander made it like a thing where it was like, hey. It doesn't matter. These guys can run. Those like there were no
0: restrictions. No restrictions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. great. <laughs> um, yeah. That that's I, I bet that has to be a little bit of a shot to the ego because yeah. of you've been through two pretty two not easy deployments. Yeah. And then exactly. You go through. That's gonna be a little shot to the ego, right? Yeah.
2: So then I was trying to go to sniper school. So I was like trying to perform as well as I could on that platoon, and I think I did pretty well. And they're like, yeah, I think we're gonna get you a chance to go before you go on deployment I was like yes fuck yes <laughs> this is my opportunity but then they we had three new security forces marines check in oh, yeah gosh. all senior to me like senior corporals and more about to be a sergeant so they sent those guys instead they wonder why we don't like security
0: forces or MPs dude and in- they didn't have
2: yeah they just got to the unit and so uh, I felt even more shitted on
0: oh geez, dude like all
2: that time you just spent running around with that pig egg and yeah. like these this cuz if I would have went on that deployment as a pig and come back as a pig, still that's just—it's not a good look. It's not a good look. Yeah, yeah, it's not <laughs> a good look. So then there was a this trailer across the street in camp porno right next to the Subway the S and P over there that had all these cool guys with unauthorized boots, mm. Velcro on their on their pockets, and I was like, "Fuck yeah, yeah. what is that, dude? Let's go check that out." They had no signs outside yet. Really? Yeah. So I just knocked on the door. I was like, "Hey, what's this? Or what's going on?" And he's like, "Oh, what's going on?" And he's just like, "I don't know if he's still operating, so maybe I shouldn't say his name." But okay. yeah, so he recruited me. And I was like, yes, this is my opportunity. This is my chance to go. What do I need to do? And they're like, you need to fill this out. And they give you like a packet, like 30 pages. You need to go get checked out. You need to go get a dive physical. You need to go get all this kind of crazy stuff. I was like, man, my unit is not going to sign off on this. So I told the sniper platoon. I was like, hey, I'm going to do this. And then they kicked me back. Or they try to kick me back to the my mortar, old mortar platoon oh, geez. because I'm trying to backdoor them or whatever. But luckily, my one of my exos from my first deployment, he was another platoon commander in my first deployment. His name is Van Horn. I don't know if he's a captain or major. He's probably out now, but okay. he went through selection. He didn't make it, mm. but he was over at the regiment. Okay. And I was like telling him my situation, and he was like, dude, I got you. Sign off on all my paperwork. And got me out the door within two months.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome, man. Yeah. We all sure. need somebody like that, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because my
2: whole unit was like, fuck you. pretty much. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, no, Tran. Yeah. <laughs> right. You're staying pig or worse. You're going back to mortars. <laughs> Actually, probably being back in mortars would have been better than being a pig for yeah. that long. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, when you got to that first, to qual- when what is that first qualification period called for MARSOC? Oh,
2: it's called ANS, A&S. Assessment A&S. and Selection. Yeah.
0: Okay. How was that for you? Did you feel like pretty well equipped?
2: I didn't. I, w- I don't think I was prepared as I should. But I was on the cyber platoon, so I, yeah. know, I could run, I could ruck. That's pretty much all I was good at. I was probably hundred buck forty at the time, forty five yeah. or something. So still so pretty light compared to where I am now. But it was always the upper body stuff that fucked me. Yeah, yeah. One of the events, you had to carry these forty gallon water jugs. I don't know for how far yeah. with your ruck on and everything like that. But being a small dude, I completely lost my grip strength. Mm, oh, like yeah. all of it. And I had a whole bunch of other guys on the team like come help me pick it up. And that's just the worst. <laughs> when You can't hold your own weight. But in the other events, I did really well. Land Nav, I did really well. That's what made me get through it. Yeah. But I actually got boarded too. What does what that mean? So like guys that make it through, like either if you're a stellar dude, you'll make it through all the way and you don't get boarded. But if you're like borderline, or like you get boarded. Oh, okay. Or okay. It yeah, is. So just... I was like, oh, fuck. Like what did I fuck up on? Because there's like a whole bunch, I don't give up too much stuff, but there's like a lot of things that like stress management skills. And I thought it was one of those scenarios that I didn't do well enough. Yeah. But the test that I asked you, like, how many times you drink, they do a whole bunch of psych evals and stuff on you. Have you ever done drugs and stuff like that? And I was getting nervous. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I was like, man, how much do these guys know about me? Oh, if I write this down, are they going to know? Is it a lie detector test? Is there cameras in here? Because, <laughs> you know, it's my first experience at special operation. I don't even know what that was. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. They um, could be backdooring you, like checking up on your old friends and yeah. stuff. Like, so
2: I just turned 21 uh, a few months before that. And they're like, how many times do you drink a week? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, shit. I got to be honest. These guys might know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I write down six times. Yeah. And then they're like, how many times have you blacked out in the last six months or whatever? I'm yeah. like. Fuck, dude. It's probably a like six or seven. <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote that down, six or seven. You were being real on I was being real. Yeah, Marines, like in the barracks. We lived in squad bays too. Yeah, yeah. Which sucks, dude. And you just want to get blacked out drunk. So you have to deal
0: with everyone's bullshit. I feel like six is low end for that. You know, yeah, like being it was. In the barracks. Yeah, yeah,
2: for sure. But then that's why they boarded me. They're like, son, do you have a fucking drinking problem? <laughs> what the fuck is going on? You're, you just turned 21 like four months ago and you blacked out seven times... And I was like, oh my God, they got me. <laughs> I was like sweating, dude. And there's six kernels on I was like, I don't even know what to do. I was like, Jesus, these guys got me, dude.
0: <laughs> you never thought I, you were going to make it through, dude. Right, you? yeah. <laughs> but they
2: somehow, they let me through. Oh, wow.
0: That's i have telling anybody to
2: lie, but control <laughs> your drinking is the moral of the story.
0: I heard lie, lie, but you're saying that you should need this. I mean, now I know. Deny, 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 deny. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm a good Christian over here just telling people the line denied <laughs> good job tim yeah that's hilarious man. Yeah. but then obviously that's just one part of it yeah you got a long way to go before yeah. you're a raider yeah
2: so after that point the master guns the um monitor was like hey you want to go back to your unit and deploy on this Mew?" and i was like thinking Ooh. about it like fuck no i don't want to do that <laughs> shit i gotta go a pig or mortal platoon i don't even know what the fuck they have in fate for me at this point yeah so i want to go to the next school slot available so they set me up for class three tac 10 originally and then a month later hey your school spots, filled, or the classes is filled up, you got to roll to the next class. Okay, And at that time I was like, shit because I thought I was going to leave in a month. I was just started checking out at 1-4. And then Prime, I met Prime at Selection. Mm-hmm. He actually helped me carry the water jugs when I put him down. Oh, he's one of the guys. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's
0: um, wild. Yeah. Still helping you carry the water jugs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Carrying all my weight for me, dude. <laughs> <laughs> doing everything so he's
2: like hey why don't you come over to the pool we could train together work together and then we'll get ready for itc is our um school it's called individual training course okay cool yeah
0: and how, how was that i know i know you can't get too much into details because some of that uh, i actually probably, probably
2: talked about more about that than selection okay but yeah if we go through patrol phase communications you go through seer school there and then you start into your Amphib phase so you do mm-hmm. a lot of small boats and then you do phase three is shooting you do a lot of shoot house stuff you do a lot of shit i think it's like an eight week shooting package and then the last one is iw so you do a lot of FID training other foreign defense and then the culminating event called Durner bridge oh but before phase before the shooting you go through this event called raider spirit and that's okay. like our version of the hell week
0: oh gotcha kind of okay thing. now would you say that going through the raider you said raider spirit yeah would you say that was probably the toughest part of the whole course going through itc oh yeah yeah for sure what was that like? Explain that for people. Because lot of civilians just don't understand.
2: Yeah, you know? it's pretty much, I think ours was 11 days. And you just pretty much go on a mission. So you, for us, we inserted on the small boats in the middle of the night. And it was like February when we inserted. It was cold as fuck. The water temperature was like 50. And the air temperature was like 32 Jeez. or 34. We started hyping out on the boat. And then everybody started cramping up already from like shivering so much oh, geez. on the insert. And oh, When man. we got to the ground, oh my God, we got nine or 11 days ago and everyone's <laughs> cramping i'm like holy shit!
0: <laughs> yeah yeah. But yeah
2: it was bad very little sleep depending on how you perform i think our team got a total six to seven hours in the 11 days oh my gosh yeah and we walked 184 miles oh, in geez. 11 days yeah it's like all my medical records so i don't even know but. We did an honesty track on our dagger, mm-hmm. our little GPS system. And like when you, we look at our tr- trout or our, our routes, we were like this. I don't know, I wish people on the podcast could see, but like <laughs> squiggly everywhere, yeah. squiggly lines, everywhere, dude. like yeah.
0: 184 miles. Yeah, uh, and
2: like the path's supposed to be semi straight, but you're so tired, you're so sleep deprived. You're hungry. you're current, extreme amount of weights yeah it was horrible they're
0: just putting you through all the mental stressors yeah a lot of flashbangs. yeah Yeah. oh my gosh and and what's crazy is probably like when the real thing goes wrong it's even worse than that I've had guys go through bad experiences after making it through processes like that or selection saying dude I almost wish like selection was a little harder because of getting into that situation, so holy bad. shit! Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you said like that part, eleven days was super rough. Like, yeah, the, the toughest part. ITC. I, I would one hundred percent say so. Yeah. You Dark, got, did that build your confidence though a lot going through that and making it? Through? I think
2: it did because there was a lot of guys dropping mm. in my team as well, and it sucked. But I was like, I'm still there. But the last mission, because um, everybody rotates being the team leader to make check your you know decision making process, but. I was the team leader for the last mission and i did really well mm, yeah It was awesome yeah so it was like my chance to shine yeah a lot of people were getting dropped that were in charge of me at the time so yeah it, it was amazing
0: a, that built your confidence a lot probably yeah, yeah it did
2: yeah and with the instructor staff that were later
0: on going to be my teams you oh know, yeah, yeah which is which which is awesome that's cool yeah so you do so, so how much longer was it before you got through itc after that. Uh, Raider Spirit's a halfway point. Okay. Halfway point. And then yeah. after that. Do you feel like things got a little easier after that? Or? Yeah.
2: I got a lot more fun. A lot more fun? Yeah. yeah. And then, stru- so each phase, you switch instructors. Okay. So, the second phase is like the thrash phase. And at the time, MarSock was so pretty new. So, our instructor staff were not made of all Raiders. Mm-hmm. There was like some scout snipers in there. Or there's some… Yeah. Just some of them were extremely unprofessional. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah.
0: yeah. 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 I mean, I'm where like where
2: yeah. they thrash you to the point where this is not necessary. Not cool. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Hazing goes above and beyond. Okay, someone falls asleep in class, you
2: run across like swim across a new river. Oh, jeez. Yeah. 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 Oh. And then right awful. back to class, like what? Oh my god. I'm gosh. in full camis. What do you want me to do right yeah. now? <laughs> yeah. I'm Just, not sure if I went yeah, the right way. <laughs> after that, most of the instructors for phase three for me at the time were all um forced to be guys. Okay. Yeah, or like old Greenbury guys that retired and coming back to teach shooting. Yeah, so it was like, man, this—that's where I became a, a decent shot. Yeah, and that's yeah. You just do so many rounds, like thousands of rounds a day. Probably that's almost awesome. yeah. it becomes
0: instinctual in a way. I'm sure.
2: Yeah, and we were shooting the 1911 for our pistol at the time. Oh, and nice. Then M4 was, yeah, I love the 1911. I you know that. Yeah, I just shot that 2011 from Scotto.
0: Man, that thing is nice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we got some gun experience the other day. Yeah, but probably on some of the best weapons that yeah. you can possibly get. Yeah, for sure.
2: And then after that, you do go to Durner Bridge where you do all the kinds of other special operations stuff.
0: Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And and so, what was that? How how proud were you when you made it through that and got to the teams? Were you pretty proud? Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. That's So, when I was going through, I
2: didn't really… I, I knew about the World War II Raiders, but I didn't really look into it or throughout the process until we were like in fourth phase where we learned about their lineage and everything like that. And I had a great proctor instructor. Yeah. And he always… I like the, the model I live by right now. It's be humble, be hard, and always push the fight. Yeah. It's just such a good thing. But he gave us a raider patch at the end of the graduation ceremony. Wow. Yeah, and like the, the command was tripping out because, like, oh, you can't be called raiders. We're just Marines. Yeah. Marines is who we are. Special operations is what we do kind of thing. That's yeah. That was the model back then, uh-huh. but he was like, that was like the fuck you for him to us, to the command. Hey, you guys are something special. You earned something special. Here today, and you're continuing on a legacy of the World War II Raiders.
0: That's uh, and I was like, "Fuck yeah, dude!" Yeah. <laughs> it's a weird thing in the Marine Corps Special Operations because the Marine Corps is so by the book, yeah, line by line, doing things really one way, very linear, very much sledgehammer meets rock, kind of thing and that's and they're good at that yeah yeah they're good some might be knuckle draggers but they're very good at what they do you know? yeah yeah <laughs> you exactly. want somebody to go hit an object they're gonna hit that <laughs> object yeah. super hard they're gonna kill it to death so how did you in making those decisions what was it like when you first got in because Marsok was pretty young right at yeah, the time you got in at the time for yeah sure. what was it like being special operations marine early on um do you feel like you guys got the respect deserved or? or? I would say it depends in what theater and what
2: like right. capacity. Yeah. yeah. In Afghanistan, of course, we had it because a lot of the marine raiders were over there already and they did work. And we started getting owning battle space. So we started owning our own SODIFs, just SODIFs, and actually being a part of the, the big SOCOM picture, especially in Afghanistan. So in Afghanistan, 100% we made our name, but the rest of the military were such a small entity is I don't know how many operators Marsoc operators are now but probably around like 350 or something like okay. that. So not very many. No, not very many. Yeah.
0: Yeah. How is oh, I, maybe a 700. Okay. Yeah, yeah. How, how is uh Force Recon and Marsoc different? Are they both considered special operations or how does that work?
2: So it just depends who you're supporting. So MARSOC's mission is always a SOCOM mission. So we all always fall under SOCOM. Okay. Um, and then Force Recon guys, they work for the MU, the MEF, or the MEB, or Marine Expeditionary Unit, or Marine, Marine Expeditionary um, Force. Okay. Yeah, so they're under Fallen Marine Command.
0: Gotcha. Yeah,
2: but ours falls under SOCOM. But we do a lot of the same stuff, like Insert Platform. They're way more Insert-Qual than we are, probably, because we're probably more focused on forward deployed and the mission set that we have now so most of like when you join special operations or recon like all you want to go to is jump and dive yeah, yeah you know so you get that cool thing on your chest i never went to dive school i didn't go to free fall either <laughs> But I went to jump school. Yeah.
0: Jump school. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I went to
2: jump master too, but uh, I didn't pass that. No. Yeah. But yeah. I was trying to, though.
0: You're a very honest guy.
2: <laughs> yeah. It, Starts out early. It doesn't matter. People <laughs> yeah. don't know. If if you know what jump master is, people are listening. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Jump yeah. master. That's tough. the only thing I ever failed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you, so was your first appointment with the teams to Afghanistan?
2: Yeah. It was to Afghanistan. We went to the Hellman.
0: Um, Ooh. Yeah. Tough area. Pretty much in Sangin area north sangin area yeah were you guys tasked out with as far as what was the mission set there pretty much
2: every same mission set as any soft force in the helmet at the time actually there was two missions but for us it was to go to a vso site so village stability operation site so we go into a town or village help build the alp the afghan local police train them equip them and then Go fight with them try mm. to find the bad guys with them
0: what was the dynamic like in homeland when you got there and how different was that than iraq our mission set for number one
2: for my mindset was like hey i knew everything that was about to go on in the mission i was read in i had access to resources outside of my small platoon to get resource intelligence information or whatever it is like everything's at your fingertips definitely um, don't especially. have that in the core yeah yeah. you not. Yeah. <laughs> if you get an air, a- or if you get a tick, you got air assets on you in Afghanistan in like 10, 15 minutes. Wow. You know, that's crazy. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. Did, did, um, so, so
0: you liked it though?
2: Yeah. And it was amazing because you felt like you had, you were going over there for a real reason and you had people back you up that's all. Awesome. for that reason that's great yeah
0: how long were you in Helmand? we spent seven months there okay yeah. and how was that deployment were there any tough occurrences while you were there was it pretty smooth do you feel like things went off pretty well we got a lot of hvis we at the first half deployment we were in that village uh, i was in
2: and we got a few hvis there some right outside our gates Some in a town nearby so we did a lot of work yeah. there which was good minimal casualty but we did lose my friend uh, Mike Hillary over there yeah but can you tell me about that what was the occurrence of that and what happened yeah we were doing an airdrop at night so blacked out because we still had some IDs around us so we drive or fly blackout at night the C-130 would and they would airdrop us our food supply and we just do it in the cover at night so everybody's wearing nods driving like they're side by side or their uh, four-wheeler picking up all the food and stuff like that and the Afghans that was building us a range out there yeah they dug a big hole and to put up the berm yeah and then the hole was still there so Mike drove into the hole oh wow yeah
0: Jeez. yeah, yeah that's rough yeah yeah is that rough losing him and and for you guys yeah, yeah that's pretty rough dude that kind of stuff kind of kills morale doesn't it yeah and it was right in the beginning of ish of the deployment Oh, wow. It was early on. Yeah, probably two, three months in. Yeah. So the mind probably goes to what else can happen if that can happen. Yeah. 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 Did you enjoy the mission while you were over there? Did you like being in Helmand? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, You felt like you had a big effect?
2: Yeah. We went to Sangin maybe once a month or something like that. And with all the the village elders and really connected. Because I think Seventh Marines was there at the time, like in the district center. Uh, And we were just in the operations outside and helping out and building these small forces and stuff like that. But I think that we had a good foothold from the teams before Mm -hmm. to really set us up for us to actually do something about getting rid of the bad guys and then really building these guys up and equipping them.
0: Mm, Yeah. Yeah. So at what point did you become uh JTAC during this? Become JTAC till I got back from that. Okay. So you got back. So you did seven months over there. You came back and then you went to the JTAC school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Did you, you feel like that deployment ended pretty successfully as far as what you guys were yes. looking to accomplish? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, for
2: sure. What do you? Um, go ahead. We had, a, that was probably one of the best teams I've ever been on. It was my first team as well, but everybody understood their role. And there was maybe like one or two guys that were semi lazy, mm. but that's it. Yeah. Everybody else was harder working than me. Like it just motivated me every day. We had success of finding people with limited resources and not going on patrols when we didn't need to and trying to be smart about it. (laughs) Which is awesome. Because we have the tools we need to find these guys. Why would we risk our legs to find these guys when we had all these other tools to find these guys? Right. So we did. So the Intel guys were amazing. And then on the next spot, we had, we had, we set up this thing called the G Boss. Okay. It's like a crazy ass tower with a camera system that can see out to almost like 14 clicks. Oh my gosh. That thing, we were just. Confirming a lot of things that we needed to confirm. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: Wow. Um, that, and that ha- probably helps operational security in the area so much more when you're able to secure something like that. Yeah. But yeah. we could listen like on the iCom chatter because one of them was like a blimp too that you put up like
2: weather blimp with a camera system. But the Afghans were like, Yeah, they're running ma- mices up there, and the mices are really fast with so the messages back down. That's how they know we are where we are. <laughs> You know i mean we're like dropping
0: borders they're oh my god yeah yeah <laughs> wow. it was pretty funny that's hilarious yeah <laughs> oh they're still stuck in that old school mindset <laughs> yeah yeah it's a totally different 14th culture. century yeah <laughs> yeah that's wild Did a lot of that affect you, what you saw over there and the difficulties they faced every day? How much more grateful does that make you for your life and the things you have? Oh, 100%. For sure. Yeah. Just have the opportunity to tell people about it
2: is amazing as well. So hopefully, someone can learn from the experiences from it, but more so, like bringing a positive vibe and because you're not always going to tell and relate everything to war or right. the military. Some people do, but that's not the goal here <laughs> yeah. whatsoever. I, I think I like being
0: around <laughs> people that do that a little less. Right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. But
2: using your experiences and the things that you know and like really pushing it to other people and like giving people positive feedback, constructive feedback, how to learn, how to grow. Because I was given so much when I was in the military. Yeah, you're doing this wrong, but here's how you fix it in marsoc yeah yeah and the infantry they're just yelling at you for no reason yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> but true. i just Game had so confirmed. much constructive criticism every single mission every single training operation that we do there was always a debrief and mm. these guys go hard on you on the debrief hey you fucked up here you're on a mission hey you didn't reload fast enough you're slow on your rate of fire or whatever it is like it's just real shit that made me comfortable like talking and giving positive feedback to. and now i'm trying to do that for other people and just that because people are not real people in this world Yeah, but with real feedback anymore. Everybody right. sugarcoats everything. Everybody's so soft and sensitive to getting feedback or giving it. It's just... I, I try to do that, but now in a very tactful way. Yeah,
0: yeah. Right? Yeah, you yeah. get really a little bit. Especially more now, yeah. and I live in California. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, Don, you jacked this up, man! You messed up. It's not like that. You can't you fix make your shit, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's there is something to that, though. I think uh, I forget who I was talking about it to the other day, but we were speaking on that same thing: feedback loop, right? And the fact that I think people really do want feedback, but they just don't think they do. So yeah. we got a bunch of society rolling around soft and not telling you but then they'll go tell some authority that can get you in trouble or fired instead of just having the direct interaction with you and being able to fix the problem right there yeah. it's the old adage of the greatest generation guys saying hey step back in the alley we're gonna go i gotta punch you in the face yeah this has got to happen yeah, but we don't exactly. have that anymore so yeah. that feedback loop is actually more important and more loving when you think about it. it is if you really care about somebody you're gonna let them know yeah because you want that situation to get better and how are you going to fix it if you're not talking to more Yeah, it?
2: and I think that as a community for what we're doing now with UTL and Deepin Fitness, I think that we really provide that. And it's just a good way to go into that. Absolutely. But yeah. So we always start off all our, our training sessions with what we call the circle of trust, where we go around and give a quick introduction about who you are, about your, so a little bit about your background, and then your personal goal and expectations mm-hmm. uh, today. And that's like the first place that people are like half naked, like <laughs> telling something about yourself And then giving a realistic goal in that aspect. And at the end of the session, we close it out with the circle of trust again with what your biggest takeaway was and then we provide feedback. Mm. So we built that in because we felt like that's what people are missing nowadays. And in the work environment, you're always gonna get feedback whether they're passive aggressive with it or they're not. If they're like a strict boss or something, they're just gonna tell you straight up. But hearing that feedback and accepting that feedback in a positive circle like that is so powerful to help people become better leaders and become better followers yeah which that's, is amazing yeah so we like to do that
0: that's the truth yeah. you when you're when you're going through that loop and, and you guys decided to start this journey deep end fitness where what was the primary foundation for this and obviously you had known prime and you had known what you'd wanted to establish. What, what was the fir- what were the first foundational talks about this?
2: Yeah, we were in Prime's kitchen at his old house, and we're like, "Hey, we're both getting out," or he was already out. Uh, the Marine Corps and I was getting out soon. So hey, we should do something together. I was like, I'm going to go to school. What do you plan to do? And we we're like, hey, let's do something we both love. We explored some security contracting stuff in Mexico with some of his friends down there, but that didn't work out. So we started to explore like what we both like to do. Oh, so We both like to work out, We both like to swim and we both like to teach people. So that's how it got started. So we, hey, remember that game we used to play underwater football? Let's start a league and see what happens. We started at one pool in San Clemente first to prove the concept that we can get into the pool. And at the same time, we were working with MRC, which is the Marine Raider Challenge, nonprofit, that nonprofit endurance race that we were doing with veteran and uh, activity special operations guys. Again, build the community, camaraderie and the community pretty much. And so it was easy for us to get access and have that positive light going into and renting their pool space. So that was a good thing for us. Uh, So we got into that pool and then we Started a team there, started playing, and took over their scout swimming program because San Clemente is just on the north side of Camp Pendleton, which all the infantry units are. Right. So a lot of guys were getting ready to go to recon or getting ready to go to selection or just do pool work. So it was the easy segue. So they had a program that was ran by like an ocean lifeguard, jujitsu guy, pretty cool guy, but he didn't know anything about the military. So mm. we came in, helped him out with that. They gave us the space to really go into there and start instructing. We're like, oh man, this is pretty cool. A lot of people are coming and we started putting stuff on Instagram and it blew up on its own. So we're like, hey, we need to start another pool. We opened one in Oceanside, got our boy Ricky on, Ricky Brer, that's part of the the team with us. And then we just blew up there. Prime pushed south and I pushed north. We got some pools in Oceanside down in San Diego. And then up north, we have some pools in Orange County all the way to almost Malibu.
0: Wow, that's awesome. obviously people here they see the photos they see the video it looks very fun it looks a little it looks exciting there's a beauty to the instagram feed and the facebook makes it look pretty posh this is awesome lessons learned because everybody because I, I like to know about that what are the adversities that you guys faced early on yeah growing up so many. and i'm sure there are plenty there were plenty. Yeah. what was that like for you and what were those
2: so prime and i both knew about this little concept called the can't remember who creates it but it's the four stages of team performance Mm -hmm. it's uh forming norming i'm sorry forming storming norming and then performing yeah so in the beginning stage we were forming when we were storming we had we were clashing all the time (laughs) about that's the idea that's going to work i was like passive aggressive about it because like i have it we just started working together again yeah because prime and i went to selection together we went to icc together we were super close and then he went to a different company. I went to Alpha. Charlie went to, or Prime went to Charlie and then to Delta. Okay. So we didn't really have that much. I was always replacing him on deployments. So trying to get back into it. Oh man, that's crazy. And then he had Brittany, which I, his wife was just amazing, which is way smarter than me. And I was just being stubborn. That doesn't make any sense. But in my head, I'm like, oh, that that makes sense. But I don't want to be the one that's wrong. I want to stand my ground. I'm new to this entrepreneur thing. Like we're trying to start. It. So we, we had a lot of clashing of um ideas and what direction we wanted to go with the company mm. but that was extremely beneficial for us because that's where we found our role because we were both trying to play the ceo right. role both had our ideas i'm leading and stuff like that but now we figured that out like we both have our strong points and we prime's more better at, or a lot better at the business development side mm. talking to people i'm more good at the operational side running all the stuff Still talking to people, but like on a different level and a different conversation. So we kind of balance that out with both of us. And we have a lot of other guys on the team now. Ricky, Manny, Jess is our marketer like that really help out with the whole process Yeah. now and going into it. But some other things in the beginning stages was money, right?
0: Oh, money's always a problem. Money's <laughs> always a problem. Yeah.
2: Especially as a startup.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah like yeah.
2: bootstrapping as much as we could. And then, okay, why are we spending the money here? Is it too much to too aggressive right now? And just trying to figure out that whole process. And, man, I don't think we figured it out to like now. It's just like always a constant like, how far do I go in this or hey, should we save some more money on this? But it's a good learning process, and we're we got it down now, yeah, which is amazing.
0: It's those, it's those foundational refining fires, right? Like yeah. if, you, if you, a lot of people get destroyed in that, yeah, a lot of people never make it through. A lot of business partners quit, yes, a and lot. and but you, having that background in the Marine Corps, and being more graders. And that's not to say you guys just never quit outside of things. We yeah. all do plenty, right? Yeah, yeah. Plenty of projects are abandoned after, but you guys stuck to it. You had a resilience and a belief in each other somewhere foundationally that yeah. developed through those refining fires and actually grew into something strong. It's yeah. like that you killing the dragon earlier. The Marine comes out of the fire yeah. in his dress uniform and he's, he's transformed, right? That's me, man. Yeah. That's me, dude. <laughs> that's not true. <random. laughs> so you go through those refining fires with prime and you come out of it on the other side understanding and that doesn't mean that there won't be challenges in the future there will of course yeah. but you expect that and you'll be better suited to challenge to face those challenges it probably was extremely rewarding making it through those first stages for sure and what always brought me back was always like the
2: positive feedback we got from our athletes or mm. the people that we train and they're always like like when we're together and people give us positive feedback i'm like damn we're doing something that's making a difference for these people whether they're an athlete whether they're trying to overcome their fear of the water, whether over the, like anything, like mm-hmm. the positive feedback is like, man, this is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You but-
0: know what I can tell is after having been on this trip for a few days now is I've seen two different crowds spoken to so far, but I've seen a lot of different individuals in interaction. And the thing that I appreciate about you guys is your tone doesn't change. There's no shift. You are who you are and you get what you get. And that's incredible. There yeah. isn't a lot of that in society nowadays. Authenticity. And staying true to self—that that has to be such. There's an authenticity in your guys's approach that I really appreciate. But I see in every workout, like there's a real positivity. There's, you're not trying to call somebody on the fire. Fo- you're not trying to pull put someone on the coals. You're, you're really wanting to watch them grow. You're really yeah. wanting. From Scottsdale to Austin today, I saw no difference in the tone and the shift. The only thing I saw were the individual interactions where there were certain things that had to be fixed or approached. How do you keep that authentic approach in what you? I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> i just
2: don't i don't know just be well, who you are right? i think that there's a lot of times that people have to change a little bit about their demeanor and depending on the situation in their environment that we are but for me and prime like in this environment this is who we are this is what we created in the likelihood or like the in the image of us and what we right. want to portray so it's easier for us to be natural and more comfortable and who we are in this type of environment because we create it to be who we are in that aspect. It's foundationally so think, yeah, authentic. So I think that's the easiest way to explain that. But of course, if I, like, you're in a business meeting or something like that, but we've tried both ways. Be 100% ourselves, be jokeful, but you have to know your audience. So sometimes big VCs or big investors don't like that type of environment. They just want a straight pitch deck. They don't want any jokes. They don't oh, want yeah. anything like that. And I'm sure for yeah. sure, but some at That 30-second elevator speech. Yeah, some investors love the the personal interactions, the real stories and they rather invest in the person than like the, the revenue how many rev, how much revenue you've made. So that's true. Just it. So do your research.
0: Yes, yeah. yes. Research is huge. And knowing always. and I think that all falls yeah. back to what I I always put an emphasis on with this work is empathy. Mm-hmm. Like if you truly care about somebody, if you're truly trying to adjust someone, help them out, then you're really going to get to know them. You're going to want to yeah. know what the proper approach is because you're going to want to know how at the end of the day, it's a business. You got to get the dollars. Yeah. yeah. But at the end of the day, you're going to want to know how to continue this mission in the you know most effective way possible. Yeah. How obviously starting out in the early days, you don't have the pro athletes, that's not part of the thing. But now you guys have developed into this brand that's seen in GQ and all these different incredible publications. Outside Magazine did an incredible documentary on you guys. What do you have? What brought in some of those high profile athletes? Do you think? Because for people who can't see it or haven't seen the visual, you need to check out the visuals. That's very important, that side of it. And we're documenting a lot of that. But you being in the water and, and deploying a whole different archetype, really, of fitness. Yeah. It, because it's not something, It's it, there are some problems with this, right? Like breathing and thinking about weightlifting and when lunging and doing all these really strenuous activities in water. Seems a little crazy but it's effective. How have you guys, how have you guys recruited some of these, you know, higher level guys? Yeah.
2: So I started off in 2018 summertime we did an off season package for the NFL with some pro bowlers for the NFL. So that really sparked it like, Hey, do we have the capacity for us internally? Hey, do we have the capacity to train these guys? What is it like to train pro athletes? And a lot of people put these pro athletes on a pedestal because I mean, they're Rich or whatever it is, they're the professional at their own game. But like what they look at it as is like they're a lion and we're a tiger. Yeah. And we're in different aspects in different areas of the world, but we have we're both almost at the top of our game. Yes. In that perspective. So they respect that. Or game recognizes game. Mm, it does. You know, yeah, real yeah. recognize real. So
0: <laughs> it's true. I've seen that, dude. And have seen that. The the when I've been out on these courses with some of these special operations guys where pro athletes are involved they are uh usually respectful yes. of the special operations community yeah. I, and that's really cool to see. They should be. You guys are performing at top level in war. That's a yeah. big thing. I, I think we humble ourselves so much that we don't really even realize what we're doing at such yeah. a high level. And it, we just see NFL and NBA and MLB on TV, and we're like, oh, that's the peak. It's the peak for what they're doing. But the water is a great equalizer. Yeah, sure. What is it? So, so you, you have that offseason. You have that package come in of Pro Bowlers. W- yeah. Where did it go from there? After that, Manti Teo hooked
2: us up with Alima Leigh McFarlane, which is one of our pro fighters right now. She has her fight in two weeks on on Bellator in Connecticut. So go Lima. The time this comes out we'll know what happened. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. So she really opened up her MMA network for us down south in the San Diego area. I got hooked up with Dom Cruz, Liz Carmouche. And all the team alliance down there, as well as time from there, we were training at the La Jolla Kogan Family Aquatic Center, where the team elite also changed, which is coach under David Marsh, coach right. David Marsh, which trains the U.S. Olympic swim team. Oh wow! So we were doing all the training there. and He always came over. Like, what are you guys? What are you guys doing over here? What is going on here? <laughs> yeah. Never told us who he, he's like the highest ranked college swim coach. Wow! In the U.S. And he's not telling you. He didn't tell us, but he just come over every Wednesday. Like, what are you guys doing? Checking us out? Like why are you guys doing that? And then we told him about like our training principles. We told him about all that stuff. And then one day he was like, hey, do you want to talk to my kids? I'm like, yeah, of course. Like what kind of kids Or to prime? And it was team elite and they're like all Olympic swimmers. Oh my God. Yeah. So then we started training them a few times here and there. And then Prime started doing talks with them, like on um, preparing for battle mm. kind of thing where they were prepping for the US Olympic Open or the trials. Wow. Of course it got canceled, but it's just that process. But yeah, that's really what opened us up. And then pushing up north into Orange County, we started training with a whole bunch of surfers up in near San Clemente area with Cole Hausman, Izzy Gomez, and her brother, Giorgio, and just some big wig sur- surfers. And that kind of really opened up the community for the surfing community. Yeah. But for the aquatic sports, of course, it's easy. Be more confident in the water, be more comfortable, know your buoyancy level, and then everything else is on your own and your other coaches. But for us, it's that mindset for those type of level of athletes. Right, yeah. Uh, Of course, getting them like a low-impact type of day and really working on their endurance and all that stuff is all like things like they can do on their own, but it's amplified in the pool. Yeah, yeah. yeah, In a different environment, yeah.
0: How does it change? How does it shift between different populations? Like obviously, Scottsdale, we're not talking to like high-level athletes. We're talking to lifeguards and and you're just talking to different populations in different areas. When you're dealing with those high-level athletes, what is the change in talk become or discussion and how does the training change? Yep.
2: So it's always about making it relatable and relevant to them. Mm -hmm. So like when we went to Scottsdale, hey, what was, we're talking to a whole bunch of lifeguards and pool managers. What's the focus? Safety. Yeah. Right. Then when we train with the NFL athletes, hey, what's their focus? To be able to breathe properly what they want and be able to think clearly in their second of plays. Like the average play of NFL is like 19 to 24 seconds. So we can max them out underwater within these 19 to 24 seconds, have them come up with the same amount of time they would have a break in between their plays and then put them back in that stressful situations and have them like solve a Rubik's cube or whatever the case is, mm. some type of mental drill. It's like, hey, okay, I can perform under pressure. I don't have oxygen. Now I'm on the ground translates to like next week, I'm on the field and it's fourth quarter. I got to make this catch, but mm. I have air. i yeah. breathing fine. I got my feet. I know mm-hmm. how to move. I've moved this way a million times before. So it takes out one of those factors for them of, hey, that anxiety, that stress, that mental stress out and it really calms it down and it brings it down to them and if we can teach that to them and we can tell them that mm-hmm. every single time they're at the session and then reinforce it before they leave at the circle of trust what the biggest takeaway is that's a life-changing moment that they can have if they made that catch that was the number one thing they needed for that touchdown or whatever it is so mm-hmm. performing under pressure is huge we like to call it calm in the clutch
0: okay calm in the clutch yeah, yeah. it matters the most and yes. for
2: war fighters that say I need to reload this weapon right now and get rounds down range, shot, shoot this rocket or whatever it is. And it's the same exact cortisol levels that your body produces when you're in that moment, that fire or flight, and you have a chance to either make that clutch
0: shot or not. Yeah, yeah, and and for us, it's life or death. Yeah, for us, it's life or death. Yeah, you're becoming, when you became, how much do you think your time is, you went through the JTAC school and you became a JTAC and you went to the Philippines. How much do you think being a JTAC and having those air assets and you're you're having to focus on that while you're focusing on other things, like how how much of that trains you for the adversity of like training athletes, elite level athletes? How much Um, does that prepare you? I think it prepares you pretty well. Like the JTAC, so for the listeners, if they don't know,
2: it's the, Joint Terminal Attack Controller. Yeah, but what it is, you're controlling aircrafts for to from drop bombs, but that's only half the job. The rest of it is in real world is controlling ISR all the time, running feeds uh, and figuring all that stuff out. But with all that, is multitasking, mm. and I'm horrible at multitasking. <laughs> horrible. And you were JTAC. <laughs> and I was a JTAC. Yeah, but it taught me the skills I needed to understand that world and have one thing going on in my mind, but be aware of what's going on in every other. Mine and a JTAC, the most I ever had stacked I think it was like 10 aircrafts mm. in the Philippines, like yeah. from top down ISR platform, Intel platform, fighters, fighter jets, helicopters, drones. But that's just like okay, put one thing to one part of the airspace, leave that there, and then worry about something else and then come back to it. You can't control everything at one time. And right. that was like the biggest lesson. Like you can't control everything at one time. Mm. Put one thing aside, focus on the task at hand, drop that bomb or run that ISR feed, whatever you need and then put that to the side, let it go on its own, do its thing, and then focus on that task at hand.
0: Yeah. You have practical act, application processes over there in, in the Philippines. Did you have experience any of that, JTAC, calling in strikes while you are over there?
2: Yes-ish. No-ish.
0: <laughs> Not on the books. Nothing happened. <laughs> um, yeah.
2: So we went over there. We helped them plan in the Philippines. My last appointment was crazy. We went over to... The Philippines thinking that we're just going to deal with anti-piracy operations down in southern Mindanao on those islands, going close to to Indonesia and Malaysia and stuff like that. But really went over there and then ISIS took over this town called Marawi. Yes, um, yes. I've
0: heard of Marawi. Yeah. Oh, wow. So we got to help take it back. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Because I saw all the stuff on YouTube about that. And that place was just nuts. Yeah. Street to street. Yeah. Right across the bridge. A lot of combatants, yeah. A lot of sniper problems, yeah. Counter sniper, everything, all that, yeah. Everything you can yeah. ever imagine, yeah. Wow. That, that was a full out war. So you're getting called in as a JTAC and doing your job. That that's got to be wild, because in that format, you don't expect that, right? Like you don't expect to be battling ISIS really necessarily.
2: yeah. But um, there has
0: been terrorism in the Philippines for a long time. Yes, there um, has been. That invisible bridge between Al-Qaeda and and their groups. I believe it's, is it Abu, Abu Sayyaf? Sayyaf? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's one of the of big
2: ones. There's like the MILF, the BIF. There's a lot down yeah, there. I mean, right. they all have their own small beliefs and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah. it was an amazing appointment because I went, it was like a real experience of going through what special operations does. Going into a, a place that we didn't have US forces, anything really set up at a huge war capacity. And then setting that up and then going in there and helping them and using American assets to really help
0: them. That's amazing. Yeah, train yeah. them. And the Philippines so, yeah. have been an ally of ours for a very long time. So it's yeah. incredible. Not anymore, though. No, they really. kicked this out. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't hear about
2: that. Yeah, Duterte was going with his other homies across the water. Oh, geez, really? Wow. That's sad. I'm Not quote unquote. But yeah. I, I don't yeah, really yeah. know the full situation, but yeah. Uh, that's sad. I do you know that Americans out of the, the
0: point was, and my point was, you, know, you're, you had to make very advanced calls as a JTAC. You have to. You're dealing with a lot of different assets. There's a lot of details and there's a lot of, like you said, multitasking. Multitasking is a big part of what you guys are doing too, but yeah. focusing on one task at a time, right? Yes, yeah. for sure. How do you train guys for that? How do you prepare them for that?
2: Oh, man, that's hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's really hard. Yeah, but really decluttering and simplifying as much as the process as we can from like a CRM that we use, a retention management system that we use for the customers or whatever it is, just simplifying everything, finding the path of least resistance, and then making that an SOP. And that's exactly what JTACs do. Find the path that best talks to this aircraft to the fastest and easiest way to drop that ordnance and then going on to the next task. But- Find that and figuring that out is the hardest point, right? Especially with a new business, you're figuring out a lot of mistakes along the way. But now we've made so many mistakes that we've got the process down. Like, hey, this is what works for us. Yeah. And then, of course, it's always open to adjustments and modifications and to make it better. But understanding
0: that process and then simplifying it and then making it, Yeah, this is how we're going to do it. And I'm amazed by the equal by the equalizer of that process, because as we were jumping into the water with these guys, and this is my first time using a a camera underwater. And I know that I'm going to experience the adversity of that. And that's a powerful thing for me, too. But I go into every situation trying to be humble and knowing I don't know this. I'm going to have to figure it out as I go. And I think that helps me out a lot, actually, in what I do. When you guys are getting into the water, you're experiencing this great equalizer because you got these, you know, pretty advanced athletes. You got guys who've been around a pool their whole life, but then they get in there and you can see them halfway through the workout going, man, this is something different. That's probably sure. pretty fun to watch. Yeah, you, I'm sure you've that. gotten some cocky guys getting in
2: there. And yes. Just- We've got some like <laughs> rescue swimmers from the yeah. Coast Guard and oh, wow. stuff like that. But yeah, it's just a different thing. Yeah. You know, and you just can't go in. It's just like everything in life. You can't go in too cocky. Right. Right. Yeah. It's,
0: yeah. Even if you've been used to the water, it's a whole new task. Yeah. And so so what do you think is your favorite thing about the experience overall and seeing? Do you like working with the higher level athletes? Do you like working with people who don't really know what they're doing? What's your favorite part of that? Uh,
2: I like both, yeah. But the higher athletes, of course, you can, if you train like an NFL guy or whatever it is, you can see them on the field. Yeah. Like we trained Joshua Reynolds this uh, off season for the Rams. And I can see him on the field, now. he's having his best career. Cool. Yeah, and he's crushing it. So it's amazing to see, and hopefully we get to train
0: with him. He's probably going to come back to you, though, because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's experienced that. He's, man, because he because us guys, pro athletes, and I even remember in college playing baseball, I was superstitious. So if anything, like, you got used to that worked well, it doesn't matter if we're in the same sock 10 games in a row, you're going to do that. Yeah. So there's a real value to what you're doing, though, and bringing to the field there.
2: Yeah, so, like, for the other people, though, like, People that don't know how to swim or they're getting that all the benefits out of it they haven't really performed at a high level and they're breaking all these glass ceilings it's also amazing yeah right because the things that you're doing in the pool can really change their everyday life and am i going to help joshua reynolds that much on his real quality of life <laughs> probably not like he's probably doing very well for himself. he's yeah he is doing very well for himself already whether he has this of amazing career or not he's still going to be very well but like the other people that we help out Especially the guys trying to go to the military and trying to get confident in the water, like we're changing their entire future. Yeah, which is amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, which is awesome to see. Yeah, it's having a real effect, impact on both levels. And some people, it's more for other than others.
0: Yeah. Is so. So, what's the expansion plan here? Obviously, we've seen California. You got a lot going on in California, especially Southern California. Yeah. You're going out to, I say you guys start out in Miami. You got something new, you're trying to work in Scottsdale a little bit, talking to some incredible folks out there at Exos and all that. And you're taking this to, you're trying to take this to new levels every time. The yes. application processes. Mm-hmm. Texas is the next frontier. And we got a big one here for yeah. you. Sure. We got quite a few cities here that would do very well. What's the expansion like for you? What do you want to, what do you want to see this turn into? Yeah, so
2: just prior to COVID, we Prime and I went out to set out we set five cities on the map, okay, which cities are we going to go to, what's going to be most affect, what's going to be the most bang for your buck mm-hmm. to go out there and kind of affect. So we searched water cities, which is like Miami the big free diving community and where we're going to go next, my Hawaii of course. The awesome. surfer and the jiu-jitsu community out there is insane, it's like a cult. I feel
0: okay. bad for you. That'll be a tough place to expand to. Hawaii. Yeah, we
2: have a lot of good people out there. We have some instructors out there already in oh, the surf awesome. community, in the MMA community as both as well. Of course, the Lima fights yeah. uh, from there, so the MMA community is massive out there. It's massive. Yeah, yeah. And we went out there. We ran. It was like last December. We ran uh, instructor course out there. So we got into with some of the military guys out there, some of the surfers, and some of the MMA fighters. So that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. As long as you have a foot in the door and you have proof value of, that can help for everybody and you're not a dickhead, Hawaii's going to open up for you. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. But other than that, no. Nah. Yeah. Hawaii's very closed off to some outsiders coming in, but yeah. very thankful for what they're opening up for us. So That's awesome. Yeah.
0: So you got five cities in mind.
2: Yes, we do. So, Texas. Now we just came out here to Austin right now, and we had some people uh, driving from Houston just to come to the session, two and a half hours away. Houston's gonna be definitely on the map. Miami. We're going out to do the official launch in December twelfth and thirteenth. Okay. And luckily, Miami is a place that you can swim outside year round. The water is beautiful. The ocean water is like eighty degrees right now, so it's amazing. So that's our next and first spot that we're actually going to launch. Of course, we started before COVID, but. With COVID, everything shut down. And California now, with it being so restrictive and going on and off, lockdown, yeah. curfews and stuff like that. So we really had to shift the focus to outboard. Mm. right? Okay, what cities, what state is really going to allow us to be successful? And where can we get leeway and move forward there instead of just waiting California for things to open up in California? And that's not the way to go. But yeah. yeah. So with that, for the deep end fitness is the first portion of it. right? let people understand the training principles, why we train like that. Get instructors certified to run the safety side of it because inherently training in the water and underwater can be riskier uh, than other types of training. So we want to make sure all the instructors have the safety aspect of it. And then really mentor the instructors at Train on us to really have them give the brand promise that what Prime and I created and the other guys on the team helped create as well to really push that forward. And that's mm. the biggest thing because yeah. we don't want people to start training with deep end fitness and the instructor to not have the same type of capabilities and capacity of of teaching and the experience to back that up. And we don't need military guys. We have a whole bunch of surf instructors and they provide their level of experience with it. But that's why we like the well diverse kind of instructor staff and crew that we have. Right.
0: There is a high value in leadership, though, in, in ability to do what you do, starting out this brand. And there's a real concern with carrying that brand over into other yes. cities, isn't there? Yes. Because you don't know what it can turn into. You might think you have a stable situation, and then somebody isn't quite who you thought they were. Yeah. Because you have a high value. You, you in Prime, you have high standards. Yes. You do, just naturally. Sure. And it mm-hmm. should be that way, because that's what constructs the brand to be what it is. So how, how do you maintain that?
2: Yeah, so we're doing creating a mentoring process right now that we're actually trying on each other. So Prime's mentoring me. I'm mentoring him. We're mentoring the people on the team. And we're getting feedback from the people that we're mentoring. So I'm providing feedback for Prime, and he's providing feedback for me, and those other guys, vice versa. As well as incorporating it with Prime and I wrote this book called uh, Free Your Mind Guidebook, and yeah. it's not like self help book, but it's more like a journal. I see that coming out. Yeah, it's coming out in June of next year. Awesome. On Um,
0: Amazon for pre-order right
2: now, right? Yeah, Yeah. yeah, it is. Hey,
0: man, Um, I'm helping you out here too. (laughs) Yeah,
2: I (laughs) appreciate it. appreciate
0: you. (laughs) We're veterans, we're bros. Yeah, but it
2: really allows you to understand the process of what you're thinking as an individual moving forward. But now we're structuring and taking everything that was individual about yourself, Mm -hmm. how you interact with other people, how you show up for yourself, how you show up for other people, and how you hold yourself accountable. And now really implementing that into the group and team type of environment and really trying to make ourselves grow there and really holding each other accountable as well as perfecting the process of ment- the mentorship. So that's awesome. That's going to be the biggest thing, right? In the Marine Corps, they have a good like counseling system and like spot reps or whatever it is in that perspective. So we want to do that same process as well, but with our step back, uh, allowing people to grow and take their own initiative aspect instead, right? Because that's what you need in a new company as a startup. Yeah. Right. You need initiative. You need people that drive hard. You need people that are smart, can think on their feet, make best decisions with the information they know. They might not know everything, but with information they know, they need to make an educated decision.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You've dealt with You've dealt with death and dying on the battlefield. You've dealt with loss. I'm sure you've dealt with some degree of suicide since coming back. Guys, seeing guys take their own lives. How has this helped your own mental adversity in in you getting out of the core? I'm sure there was a transition period, right, where it was tough getting out of the core? Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about that transition? Yeah. So
2: when I got out of uh, active duty out of rear Battalion, I was like, oh, man, I'm going to miss it. I need something part of it. So I actually went over to a reserve unit at Fourth Force in Hawaii and Alameda. So like just in the Bay Area of California. Mm-hmm. And we split the unit with Hawaii, but it just wasn't the same. Mm. Uh, i was looking for the camaraderie when i already had it i had prime i had ricky i had all the other guys i have my friends from back home still yeah uh, and we're brothers so it was an easy transition in that aspect where i'd never felt alone i always had someone to talk to and sometimes veterans need someone to talk to that's been through what they've been through but yep. i had that and of course it's still hard transitioning and going out and then like when you're going through like maybe mood swings or whatever it is when you're thinking about it's like your death anniversary your friends. You're going through like kind of crazy stuff. It was, it's it's pretty hard. But I had that opportunity to talk to my brothers about it. Mm. So that's the biggest thing. Yeah. For everybody, every veteran out there is to talk to somebody whether they know what you've been through or not just to talk to somebody and not you're not alone in this world, yeah. I promise. You yeah, can call me. Yeah, anybody listening? Call Don. You're a veteran, you can call me.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. He's volunteering sure. himself. You heard him, guys. Yeah. I talked to a Mac V SOG OG, like Vietnam mm-hmm. Power Charger, and he talked about the lack. They had no talk therapy back then. They yeah. got out, and the suicide rate was off the charts, man. Yeah, you're talking about 28 a day at the time when they're getting back from Vietnam, and the way the country's treating them is disgusting and despicable. And they're dealing with a lot. And so he talked about the value of talk therapy. So I'm glad you hit on that. Having that active network when you get back is so impactful. Having Prime has gone through a lot of the same situation scenarios you yeah. have. So, what is the value? I know Prime, that old, the old sage, <laughs> the old yeah. bearded sage right. that he is hard charger, a meat grinder, heavy handed, but a very sensitive soul. Yeah. How important is it there for you to have Prime? In yeah, it's
2: key. Yeah, yeah. we've definitely. I would definitely not have gotten to where I am today. It helped me get into USC uh, for my MBA program. You're in an
0: MBA program.
2: Yeah. 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 He's helped me with everything since I got out. Transitioning because he did it right before me. Mm. I mean, everything. But that's like what brothers are for.
0: Do you have hard days? Like yeah. really hard days? Every, everybody does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's yeah. important. Yeah. That's true. What do you think is the most impactful within? Do you think starting this company and this business has been helpful for your mental health as well? Yes. Yeah. Finding a purpose, mm-hmm. a
2: purpose that, that helps you. And we had this mentor that was telling us when we were writing the book and everything like that, like trying to find the prologue and all the words to so kind of close out the book. Mm-hmm. And he was like, what's your why? Uh, now when my why was always figured out when I was in the military oh go over there kill some bad guys and mm -hmm. then come back and bring all my friends back that was my why all the time had a reason to train had a reason to wake up and of course be able to spend time with my family so work harder to be able to do that but now that you're out like your why is a deeper sense that you have to find within yourself Mm -hmm. to drive that will to be better and at first I was like oh my why is like oh I want to make this company grow I want to be successful I want to help people out yeah but that's Helping people out, everybody wants to help people out. Yeah. But how are you going to help people out? Why do you want to help people out? And so for us, it was like, hey, to ignite a warrior class of people to create a positive shift in the world, mm-hmm. to have people, and everybody is a warrior mm-hmm. in their own ways. Everybody fights their own battles, to really excite, ignite that warrior of people, or they ignite that warrior within people to so fight their own battles to become a better place. And we try to provide that. So that's my why now. And,
0: and then that, that why has transformed itself and taken yeah. on a whole nother deep, Level meaning, right? Yeah. yeah. So
2: now it's easy, even in the hard days, because starting a company, you have the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows always, right? right. Like you're doing really good this month. COVID happens. Man, you're doing really low right now. <laughs> yeah. You're doing really low. We got to shift, adjust,
0: um adapt, and overcome. Yeah. Right? But and those are all special way. operations mindsets. Yes, you have is. to be able to do those things. Yeah. Especially, buddy gets killed. What do you do? You can't hunker down and curl yeah, up in the fetal position on. and cry. You got to exactly. push on. Yeah,
2: push on. You have finish the mission. So uh,
0: I wanted you to hit on uh, UTL a little bit. Yeah, underwater torpedo league. You developed that as well. You yes, do that with Prime. To
2: what it is today? Yes. Yeah, but so, we can't
0: take the name of that
2: saying that we created. The you didn't create. It. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: So what part have you played in that? In you and Prime. Yeah, so when we started the two
2: teams, Prime took the Oceanside team. I took the San Clemente team. And As we pushed north, I continued to transfer teams and push to the next city and kind of create the team there. Came up, helped with the team to design the rules of what it is now and then really stepping back now and letting the code run their teams and being like the referee and administrative kind of side to let people kind of take charge and lead their own teams right now. So um, not like a commissioner kind of role, but really taking a step back and being more off hands on that. And letting the community grow on its own, you can't be the guy that's in it forever. So that's yeah. true. You gotta be you gotta be able to step back at a certain level and maintain a supervisory role, right? Yeah, exactly. Not be in it, but not be in the business, but work
0: on the business. Mm-hmm. And then that probably becomes more and more important in what you're doing. Expanding out to these different cities with deep end fitness, you have to trust. The leadership in those cities to do the right thing, right? Yeah, but yeah. trust them because you built the right process, yeah. <laughs> and done the right mentoring. Yeah, not just trust them because yeah. that could be disastrous. Yeah, that could be horrible. Yeah. Yeah. But what do you so, so? What do you where do you want to see all this go? What yeah, what is so the goal long term
2: for Deep End Fitness, we hope it's going to be uh, we're going to make it in every city in the future to be a training program that can help all athletes. It's not just an aquatic uh, fitness training program. It can really benefit every athlete in the mental aspects as well as the. Physical side, and then for UTL is to make it into the Olympics in 2028. Oh wow! Yeah, so in 2024, uh it's in Paris. It's in Tokyo next year because the year delayed. But in 2028, it's in LA, and one of their themes is innovation. So really trying to get that and be an innovative sport to push it in there. And everyone's probably, oh man, these guys aren't going to make the Olympics. But if there's some other sports in there that are not as... Curling. A, yeah. I'm not going to say it, but... I'll say it. Yeah. But I'm I think that, the sports world, you know, yeah. UTL is a, a super glider sport where it's no fins, no go- or no snorkels or anything. So you're using all your own natural swimming abilities to grapple
0: each other and get this torpedo into that net. It's cool. It's yeah. really cool. Yeah. yeah. I haven't so, even seen it first person yet, but I do know what I've seen on video in the film. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. yeah.
2: So can't wait for that. But yeah, there's a long way to go to get there. But to really build a team and have the community pop up all over the world, that would Mm -hmm. be the next step.
0: How are you and how are you working through the adversities? You talked about outboarding a little bit. COVID obviously has said, and I know we're just sick of talking about COVID. We've been talking about it all weekend because yeah. that's just one of the conversations that happens now naturally. How did you, how have you shifted focus now? Like, and, and what can you maintain? What are the difficulties of maintaining that in California right now? Because you still have to maintain it, right? You still got because that's just still your biggest base. How are you making that work right now? Yeah,
2: so of course we're going through all the guidelines, additional safety guidelines for like example, but the pools that we're training at we're limiting the number of athletes per lane we're splitting the sides of the lane so if we're swimming the contact you would make is underwater or passing each other closer than six feet would be underwater and then as well as keeping like our separation as we're putting down all our gear and um, using one exit and all that stuff for that for the pool for the company wise we're limiting amount of meetings we're having and all that stuff and meeting places but california's on a curfew and lockdown so we can't even do that <laughs> anymore so back to the zoom calls, but. For the business aspect of it, like instead of like dwelling in, like just sucking in and saying, oh man, this is a horrible situation. Prime and I really took the opportunity during COVID to really look inboard and perfect things. And the biggest thing that we wanted at the time was to really start that creating that mentoring process and mm-hmm. how we're going to get people to to follow us the right way and lead the right way that we would like to see it. Yeah. but as well as getting people to really understand what we're about. So yeah. that's why we wrote the book, the guidebook called um, Free Your Mind, which right. focuses on our training principles of focus, relaxation, economy, emotion, and efficient breathing. So at first people were like, oh, okay, that sounds like a cool acronym, but what does it mean? How does it relate to you as an athlete? How does it relate to you as a person? So that book really breaks it down as a journal to let you reflect on the things that you need to reflect on to really eliminate a lot of drag that you have in your life, to increase the flow and to be calm and relaxed in a situation where you need to be calm at, but turn it up and focus and game on when it's time to turn it on. Yeah, yeah, that's
0: awesome. Yeah. But do you, as you guys, you know, you, as you're taking this to the next level and you, you've seen in Texas, there's a pretty good community for it. Is it just, is it different everywhere? Has it been different the process or does it, or do you see just an adaptation pretty quickly when to every place you've gone so far?
2: I think that it was very hard in the beginning to when we started because of all the pools and the communities, wait, what are you doing out here? But now I think that we have the national recognition to at least people understand what we're trying to do, which is good. So we just gotta make sure that the process that we get in there is the right way and we do it slowly, the right, correctly. Yeah, yeah, and there's like a soft truth that we were trying to live by that you can't mass produce uh, special operations in a time of war or whatever it is and we can't mass produce or we can't push out to too many cities now because we need because california is closing down so mm-hmm. we still have to do it with the right quality over quantity yeah the right process in the right way so um, yeah
0: i've seen a lot of guys like increase the overhead too much with their companies when they experience a little bit of success and then they tie themselves down to that and they get buried in the details. They get buried in all the extensions of what they're doing, and that ends up destroying what they're doing. So you guys are probably taking real applicable, real practical processes to make sure that doesn't happen.
2: Yes, and we're in the right pro- place and the right mindset to do it now, because always back then in the beginning of business, you're so such an overachiever for so many new projects. Yeah. Right? Oh, <laughs> yes. that's the bright, shiny object right now, but it's always about deciding the risk uh, that's associated with those decisions, and then Uh, evaluating that before you make it. So I think we're a pretty good process to do that now.
0: Yeah. Don, I I really wanted to thank you uh, for coming on the podcast. It's huge. And getting to travel with you guys has been really cool because it's always interesting. I think I met you guys and then like I got in the car right away. Normally not safe for strangers. (laughs) But for brothers, it is interesting how you immediately have that comfortability. So it's been pretty cool getting to see what you're doing. And I got to see in Scottsdale. I got to see in Austin. And I'm going to get to see in La Jolla here soon. I just appreciate the process of what you guys are doing and inspiring others because that's so big. That's what we're really looking for in the Veterans Project is we're looking for a lot of people. We tell the hard stories too, but we want to hear about us making it through our adversities and creating something greater. And so it's pretty cool to see you guys Taking that to the next level and helping other people with their lives and moving on and transitioning in other areas.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for for traveling with us and coming to tell our story. Uh, yeah, forgot to say we're also launching a WeFunder campaign. If you guys yes are yes talk about it. Yeah, so we're raising a million dollars to um, really fund this expansion and really push out and uh, start po- spreading our positive shift in the world through what we do. It's in the water. So
0: where can where can people find out about that?
2: Yeah, you can uh, go to our any of our social medias, which is Deep End Fitness or Underwater Torpedo League. Just type that in, you'll find it. Um, Instagram, Facebook. That's on Instagram, on Facebook. TikTok is TikTok. blowing up. UTL yeah. Nation. Some cool <laughs> UTL videos, Nation. It's yeah. on there. If you guys are supporting that, but uh, some people aren't. <laughs> and uh, yeah, check out our wefunder.com forward slash Deep End Fitness and check out our profile mm. and see what we're about to do.
0: That's awesome, man. And I appreciate this. We talk about legacy all the time in this project, but you're leaving behind an incredible legacy. You and Prime, I know, and Forever Brothers now. I appreciate what you guys are doing, and I look forward to seeing where it goes.
2: Yeah, cheers, brother.
0: Yeah. All right. For all y'all listening out there, thanks for tuning in, and thanks for paying attention to the project. Don hits you up with all the socials. Make sure you hit all those. And most of all, don't forget, our legacies are the mission.
1: This has been the Veterans Project Podcast with our founder, Tim K. Check us out at www.thevetsproject.com, on Instagram, at The Veterans Project, Facebook, The Veterans Project, and Twitter, at Project underscore Veteran. Thanks for listening, and don't forget, our legacies are the mission.